experience in Michigan, in England, and in Kentucky. Today's guest talks about what it means to have a working student mentality for the rest of your life. Let's grow, girls. Thrivers, before we get started today, I have two requests of you. My 2024 calendar is booking quickly, and I would love to include you or your organization. So if you or anyone that you know is booking for keynotes or looking for a team trainer that can uplevel your communication, effectiveness, results, and relationships, reach out today. I would love to connect with you and see if we could be a good fit to work together in 2024. Secondly, it is roll call for NextGen Equine Vet Med 2024. If you are or know any undergrad student who is interested in pursuing careers in or around equine veterinary medicine, listen up. We want to get you registered today for one of the five location options for NextGen Equine Vet Med 2024, Nebraska, Georgia, Texas, Kentucky, or West Virginia, this is open to all undergraduate students. So head over to my website at www.jodyspeakslife.com to get registered today. And industry, if you are not part of NextGen Equine Vet Med yet, let me know and we will get you partnered up. So with that, let's get on with the show. friend, welcome to the Thriving Equine Professional. Are you wondering how to make connections to build a career in the equine industry? Not sure where to look for the support you'll need to land a dream job? Maybe you're feeling frustrated or stuck. Hey, I'm Jody. I was that girl with no clue how to navigate landing a great career in animal health, but I knew this is where I wanted to be. I look back and cannot believe the roles I've landed and the people I call friends. Inside this podcast, you will meet key connections, build your career confidence, and find the advice you may not know you need. So if you're ready to grow your career and thrive in a job that you are passionate about, you're in the right place. Get the ponies fed and fill those water buckets. It's time to grow, girl. Happy Thursday, Thrivers. Welcome back to another episode of the Thriving Equine Professional. As promised, I have continued a lineup of incredible guests for us, and we have a great story and some tremendous lessons with our guests today. Katie Osborne, I am so excited to have you on the Thriving Equine Professional. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, this is my first time in any kind of digital platform such as this. So I'm, I would say nervous, but um, you know, us horse people are used to that going into the the start date. So um, I'm kind of one of those people, let's see what happens. <laughs> so um, I'm not sure of many other. <laughs> I love it. That's perfect, Katie. And I always love to start, you know, our audience, so many young people, whether they're early in their career or about to face the really scary student to professional transition. You and I know plenty about that, right? 
but you um, connected with me via LinkedIn. So I love to tell the connection stories, but you specifically mentioned that it was episode, I think it was episode 11, but I know it was the episode with Courtney Kalnan and that that's how you kind of maybe stumbled upon the Thriving Equine Professional podcast. Is that where it started? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know Courtney very well, but we've crossed paths in the horse industry in central Kentucky. And I've always found her story when I listened in, it was really interesting. And I was like, oh, well, the, the, you know, it's nice to see local people, regardless of, you know, what level you're riding at. Um, I, you know, to throw it out there, I think Courtney does a wonderful job with that little redhead pony of hers. And I've always admired the way she rides and the way she promotes herself. And I was like, well, this is maybe a path I need to look into. And then as I started looking more, I'm like, wow, I know all, a lot of these people. How have I not met Jody yet? So, um, it was really to hit that connect button on the LinkedIn page. I love it. And I had to bring that up, Katie, because that is exactly the objective of this podcast, right? And so there have been so many connections that have happened that way. So thank you for sharing that. And, you know, a little nod to LinkedIn, because again, I encourage our young people that are listening to be active on LinkedIn. There is a lot of power to growing our connections and our professional network if we are willing to spend a little time there on LinkedIn. And so that is how you and I originally connected. And then of course, I, I wanted to learn more and, and reached out to say, Hey, will you share some of your story? Because as I, I always say this, as I stalked you, Katie, right on LinkedIn and social media, I said, now here is someone that I think would have some really tremendous wisdom to share with our listeners. So let's jump into your story and we'll, we'll get to where you are, but let's start with where you have been. You are originally from rural Michigan and so have been pony clubbing and 4-H'ing since you were a five or so, I think you said. And then, uh, so, so tell us a little bit about how you got started. And then I want to really dig into, uh, the next step, if you will. Yeah. Um, well, my, my childhood, we grew up on, on an 80 acre farm on a dirt road in the thumb of Michigan, as we like to call it. My mom uh, had had horses most of her life, actually. And she did uh, carriage driving and she still does competitive carriage driving and combined driving. And that was kind of how I I got dragged to horse shows with her as a kid and I never wanted to drive the ponies. I was the one hopping on the ponies. Um, and sometimes they weren't broke. Sometimes they were. So, uh, you know, I had that start there and my mom also was a farrier before she started working at General Motors. So I have a really good understanding and background around shoeing horses too, on top of that. But she got me involved in pony club and 4-H and, you know, I did, I rode whatever horse I had at the time. So I think one great example of the the spectrums I had to go to in 4-H to earn a blue ribbon was I had an Arabian saddlebred cross and he was terrible. He was faster than all the quarter horses that everyone else was riding. And I had, you know, spoke to a few different people and they said, why don't you do saddle seat in the hunter equitation classes? So here I am with my hands up here and heels down and sitting in the back of the saddle riding saddle seat against all these quarter horse riders only because my horse was better at saddle seat than I was. So it was that learning how to adapt to the environment and what kind of horse I was riding. And I rode 
um, POAs through Saddlebred Arabian Crosses. I think I never once owned a quarter horse my entire life, actually. And that was a major percentage of the 4-H world. But then when I moved into Pony Club, I only did, I think, up through my D3 and Pony Club, to be honest, with everybody listening, only because my little Appaloosa that was jumping for me went blind and we figured out mounted games were way more fun than jumping anyways. So I did mounted games up until I was about 11. And then I learned you could do eventing without having to even do pony club because a lot of the pony clubs in the area were starting to close down. And at one point we were having to drive two hours to get to the nearest pony club. And my mom basically said, what if we just didn't do this anymore? So then I started to move towards eventing, which I didn't do a lot of again, because there wasn't a lot going on in the area. Um, and our nearest trainer was an hour away. And as soon as I got my driver's license, I, uh, started working for a local dressage trainer. And then I bought a thoroughbred, took it to the dressage trainer's barn. And I focused mainly on dressage all the way up until I graduated didn't show a lot, didn't have a money to show, but I was very fortunate to work for this person. And I cleaned a lot of stalls in high school, a lot, a lot of stalls. And I, I never paid for a lesson. I had lessons once a week, but I worked very hard and cleaned a lot of stalls of those winners. Yes. Those are the lessons that, that make us and build what I call character building experiences of our lives. Right. So they, they create who we are. And so you're going to talk a lot about that because I just love your philosophy on spend time working to learn, Katie, and, and that gets repeated here. But as we take the next step, and it's probably just me being excited for this part of your story, but you talk about forgoing then the traditional academic path post high school, and you went to England and earned your British Horse Society Assistant Instructor Certification. So I do want to talk about that part because when you say you forego the traditional academic post high school, the path. I think that there's some expectation there, right? So we all feel the expectation of what we're supposed to do. And you made a choice for Katie and you made a different choice than maybe a lot of other people were encouraging or supporting you to do. So I do want to hear about that decision and how you went to England. Yeah. Um, so the same trainer, her name is Valerie Dean, um, that I worked with throughout high school. And I hate to refer to her as a trainer because she's more of a lifelong mentor and friend. Um, I still stay in touch with her and you can tell after I tell this story, how much she impacted my life. But, you know, I was preparing to go to a small liberal arts school in Michigan. Uh, I was going to ride on the equestrian team. I was even going to take a horse with me and, uh, take out loans to pay for all of that. And at the time, the only thing that, and you probably hear this a lot, uh, the only job that people think that you can go on to work with horses and make money is a veterinarian. And at that point I had taken organic chemistry in college already. I had taken AP bio, like I was on that track towards wanting to go to vet school, but I wasn't super serious about it. And I, unlike other people that have been on your podcast, like Carly Fedorka tell, talks a lot about how she shadowed vets from early on in her career. I was just like, oh yeah, I've seen a vet give a horse a shot. I could do that. <laughs> they make money, right? Yes. And, you know, and I I had gotten to see like 
really good vets work with horses like Hillary Clayton out of Michigan state. Holy cow. Her research was incredible. And I, I briefly looked at that and I was like, I think I could do that. I consider myself smart. And when it came to reality to sit down and look at the path of how do you get into vet school and why am I even going to this small college? They don't even have pre-vet. Valerie sat me down and she was like, Katie, do you even know how much this costs? Do you even know what a semester of college costs? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. And she said, what if, what if she said, you're 18, you have no debt, you have nothing to your name right now. What if you could just go out in the world, money not attached, what would you go do? And I was like, oh, well, I'd go to England like you did when you were my age and go learn to be a riding instructor and work at Barnes and travel the world and get to meet people and ride. And she was like, then go do it. You have nothing else to lose right now except time and energy. So go do it. And I was like, that sounds like a cool idea. Well, I never really thought of life that way. So uh, she called around to some people she knew in the UK. Uh, We talked about maybe going to like a university versus like talent's equestrian center. We talked to Pammy Hutton there. And that was, you know, a little bit out of my price range for the experience. So we ended up finding a job in Cornwall, England, um, of all places with Becky Monk and Mark Cunliffe. And I worked for them for about three years over the summers and through their winter seasons, giving lessons. I used to take out treks. Uh, We cleaned stalls. We worked six days a week, about 12 hours a day. People don't believe me when I say the British clean their stalls five times a day. They do. And I can't trade that experience and time for anything. Um, They taught me a lot. I learned how to teach. I got my certifications through them. And it was a phenomenal experience, but it couldn't last forever because getting a visa to stay in the UK is difficult and expensive. So then I came back and the minute I came back, I uh, briefly got a job uh, helping the Mackinac Equestrian Center open up on Mackinac Island for their first summer, which I was able to then apply those skills that I learned in England to running an equestrian center. Um, Very eye-opening experience. You got to deal with uh, tourists. You got to deal with the general public of Mackinac Island. Um, I had to bike and ride my horse everywhere. I had to run a business by myself at the, I was only 21 at the time. So it was baptism by fire. And that's when I realized, you know, Michigan has a lot to offer in the horse industry, but not my main goal was, which I hate saying it now because it's not my goal anymore. It was being a five-star event rider. I wasn't going to do that for Mackinac Island or even um, rural Michigan. So that's when I moved to Lexington, Kentucky. And I had no money. My truck was 30 years old. My trailer was 20 years old. So I worked for a local trainer as a working student in the mornings. And then I got a job as a Starbucks barista at night. And that led on to me. Everyone kind of knows me. If you do know me in Kentucky, I was always Starbucks Katie. Someone met Katie at Starbucks and she's talked about horses. Um, I met a lot of people in that drive through in Georgetown, Kentucky. Shout out to Laura Werner or BZ Madden. I've definitely met both of them and me and Laura are pretty good friends because of those times. And I 
I got jobs between, I was a uh, exercise rider uh, for a therapy center. So I spent a lot of years rehabbing sport horses all the way up through Grand Prix horses to five-star event horses to uh, graded stakes winning horses. Um, I learned a lot doing that. Linda Cadell was my employer and I actually met her when I was a kid doing mounted games and she came into Starbucks one day and I said, Hey, you're, you do mounted games. And she was like, what's your name? And we here knew each other for 15 years. And so she offered me the job as an exercise writer for her, which was probably the most I've ever learned in a job was working for Linda, um, incredible horsewoman. Wow. And I went from that to also at the same time, growing a career in Starbucks. So over a, I'd say six year span, I made my way up from barista to store manager at Starbucks. And I had my own store on the South end of Lexington that I was running. And I, uh, also coincidentally to help pay for horses. I was also still working for thoroughbred farms on and off. I did sales prep. I did foaling on Friday nights. I used to stay up all night during foaling season and help full mares. I also had my, one of my own sales horses going as well as competing my own horse. And at one point in time, I also worked on and off for Equibase and the Jockey Club doing information and database information. So that all led to, I was growing with Starbucks. I was doing the corporate career. That was, that was the path I was on. I wanted to grow in that company. I was giving, giving them everything I had. And that's where I'd like to say the corporate burnout began was because you're chasing something, you're chasing something. And I had my mind set on it. And then I said, well, if I can't do this, I need to go get that college degree now. So then I started chasing the college degree at the same time, as well as chasing a writing career. And um, you can't apparently do all those things at once. I learned the hard way. And in 2020, that's when I had that breaking point of you got to decide. So I decided that my college degree was now more important because I was breaching on 30 and I had to diversify myself more because I couldn't afford to do horses on my own. At least I thought I didn't know that just yet. So I left Starbucks, worked on my degree, and then I started um, buying and selling off the track thoroughbreds um, with a friend of mine that I was a roommate with here in Kentucky. And she had a farm out in California with her and her husband. And we started off very, very well. Um, I, I bought and sold a few really, really nice thoroughbreds. Um, and I mean, one of them is out contesting the two-star intermediate level right now. Incredible horse. I can't wait to see what him and Joe McKinley do with their careers. But then I also failed. I bought some sight on scene and I didn't, I mean, I'm a notorious, I do not pre-purchase exam my horses a lot, uh, which drives some people crazy. I still, to this day, I still don't do it. Um, I trust my eye. Um, and I trust, you know, is the horse got good legs? Are they straight? Uh, their feet good. I'm a big feet person. And do they have a good eye on them and confirmation? And it's, it's gotten me far, but it also, I ended up buying some that, you know, they managed to jog sound in that video and then they showed up and they ended up having a fractured coffin bone or things that you can't see without doing the pre-purchase exam. Yeah. And at that point I had investors that were also helping me grow this restarting business. And it finally got to the point where I started to look at the economy where post pandemic at this point, inflation hadn't hit yet. 
And that's, and, and then I started to see the horse market starting to get saturated. A lot of thoroughbreds were now for sale. Facebook was letting people sell thoroughbred or sell horses on Facebook. And that's when the market started to saturate and horse prices started coming down. And I said, I can't live off of that. You can't, you can't, unless you have a solid business and you, your horses are selling. I just said, well, this is, this is time to say, no, I can't do this. I don't have a backup. I don't have a huge savings account. I don't have parents that are going to say, oh, here, we'll, we'll help you out of this hole. So then I, I had to sell everything I had. I had to sell the horses I had, ship them out. And I left central Kentucky altogether. And I, I failed big time. I lost lots of money. I had to pay one of my investors back on the horse, the, the amount that he wanted to make off that horse. I had to essentially buy the horse at the price that he wanted for the horse, which was not easy. I, I had to pick everything up. I moved to Northern Michigan where my parents were at. And I started bartending at a ski resort because I just wanted to get out of the industry altogether. I was burnout, couldn't do it anymore. I lost my love for it through that failure. And I took a massive break and I tell people all the time, I had the time of my life. I bartended, I got to meet cool people and I used that skill set to then just enjoy life for a little bit. And that's kind of where led me to where I became, got my degree, was able to start looking for an actual job, as we would say, outside of the horse industry. And that's where I think this is so great, where it all starts to come together a little bit is when I started looking for jobs, I was on LinkedIn, had updated my resume, and I just randomly applied for a job in Louisville, Kentucky with a company called EQL Games. And lo and behold, after applying for this job and, and meeting my now boss, Brad, we had an enormous amount of connections on LinkedIn. And we had known all the same people because back in my twenties, I spent time working on thoroughbred farms, working for the jockey club and information services. And I had met all these people in the thoroughbred industry. Well, Brad's other background was he uh, co-owned uh, a publication in the racehorse industry. So we knew all the same people, but we had these skill sets that applied to a job that had nothing to even do with the horse industry. So because of all the networking and the, and the working for people and the multiple jobs I've had over the years and, and the experience I carried along with it, I was able to land this amazing job that I have now that is now given me a different path to how do I enjoy the horse industry. And I've completely shifted away from being a professional. I've shifted away. Um, I completely forgot about all the, the grooming. I Heck, I spent the last three years freelance grooming and I didn't even talk about that. Um, I've groomed for like five-star eventers for McClay winning uh, hunt riders. And I freelanced uh, both in Lexington as well as Traverse City. And uh, I did that on top of bartending. And I've just, I've kind of bounced around to which next opportunity was. And I've even throughout the years, tried to use my, whatever skill set I have as currency to learn something new. And that's the, the concept of being a working student of life that I, I really would love to talk more about today because I, I just had this conversation with a um, trainer that I worked for 10 years ago, a few weeks ago. And we were talking about how the working student concept is kind of starting to disappear. And a lot of people are now coming into the industry and just paying for the education.
education. Um, and we're, we're, there's a big struggle in finding people to clean stalls, to take lessons. And, and you kind of see a lot of Facebook conversation around, does the barn rat still exist? Yes. From many of us barn rats, right? We, we earned a lot, a lot of character building experiences by being a barn rat. So yes, I mean, you, you said it well, Katie, when you said be hungry, keep that working student mentality for the rest of your life and spend time working to learn and that it will always pay off later in life. And and that's what you're describing. But I really loved that, the way that you said it, be hungry and keep that working student mentality for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for circling back on that because I, I can, I feel like I was rambling on a little bit there, but I think throughout the years that I was fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting to take my off the track thoroughbred up through the levels of eventing, I mean, I was working every chance I get. I was so hungry at the time and there is nothing wrong with being hungry for the sport. Whatever you decide you want to do, I was constantly picking up whatever jobs I could find. Um, I was trying to work off as many lessons as I could. And I think that's an important a piece of advice I have for younger riders is I think a lot of people tend to think they're priced out of the sport. It's really expensive now. I can't do that. And the biggest piece I want to say to people is you have a skill set that is currency, that there are uh, trainers and riders in every quarter of this country that need something from you. So, I mean, I'm 33 years old now. I had to think about it for a second, but I still could go. I mean, I, there's still a rider that I do some work for that I could trade that for lessons. And I intend to trade it for lessons. I try to make it a goal to not have to pay out of pocket for lessons. If I don't have to like go clean stalls on a Saturday for somebody, they would love that. Yes. They get a day off or they get a day off and the price for a lesson from a upper level rider is equivalent to at least one, one and a half days work. And if you are working five days a week at a full-time job, you can still work off your lessons somehow or work off your board somehow, or there's just so many intricacies of if you're hungry, you will find a way and you will do it. And staying that way throughout your whole life, like I can't clean stalls five days a week like I used to anymore. My back doesn't allow it, nor can I exercise, right? Like I used to, but I still find a way to do horses at a very economical level. And like you said, there, you know, our generation is full of those barn rats. I mean, every single trainer and rider that I know that's out there killing it professionally right now, they learned through that skill set of having to trade their ability to work, to learn from someone else. Yeah. And I think as long as people have that mentality, um, you will, you will end up somewhere in the industry. And if you're like myself, where you kind of have a reality check, you run out of money, you run out of the patience of being poor. You know, I'm tired. I was tired of, of constantly counting my pennies. And I said, Hey, why don't you go get a real job in an industry where you not a real job to say the least, but a job that supports me and my horses to the point where I don't feel the pressure of having to compete to get my name out there to keep a business going. So people will buy my horses or do this or that. Like today, I'm probably going to go out and brush my horses and pat them on the neck because they're off for the holidays. I get to do that now. (laughs) 
Yes. And that in and of itself feels good, right? So you've made those choices. Now, Katie, I also want to say, you know, you mentioned the word failure at least twice. And as I listen to your story, each of us is going to fail, but failure is never final, right? And so you've demonstrated that really well. And in this conversation, I think that you know, one of the pieces of advice that you share is always be okay to take care of yourself, where you are acknowledging the steps in your journey that felt right at the time, the evolution of your goals, the changing life priorities, but you are are quick to say, here is who I am and here is how I want to change and adjust. And you said the word adapt, which I love. I heard that. But you say, always be okay to take care of yourself. So tell us a a little bit more about that. Well, you can't, I mean, it's a famous saying, you can't pour from an empty cup. And I I think that I find I am a risk taker um, I and I am impulsive and I learned that about myself over the years. I, I still am. I cannot go into Marshall's anymore because I will spend a hundred dollars. It's just given and same with tax shops. That's why I have don't go to tax shops anymore. But I think the lesson that I've learned over the years is sometimes when we fail, we spend so much time beating ourselves up and what do we do wrong? And I, I do understand there can be a victim mentality where you can say, what was me? Oh, maybe I shouldn't do that again. Or, you know, maybe I didn't deserve that, or maybe I don't deserve to win. Maybe I don't deserve to get good dressage scores or pay my, pay my bills on time. You know, there's a lot of intricacies of like what this life could do to you. And the biggest lesson I've learned throughout the years is being able to like look ahead, like we were talking earlier, being a little proactive and saying, I see a storm brewing or I see something coming and knowing when to pivot. And my exit from the resale industry was that I still had repercussions and consequences and I still owed money and I still lost business and I lost, you know, I lost and I lost, but the biggest piece I lost was my love for horses and doing the sport because I had to tie so much of my financial responsibility into it. And when I made that pivot, and then now as I kind of go back into the industry as an amateur and I, I get to show my horse whenever I want and my experience allows me, you know, I took my six-year-old off the track thoroughbred to jump start, and we didn't do amazing, but we made it around and we ended the weekend on a number and not a letter. You know, that was a big win for me. Four years ago, if I got a dressage and two rails and show jumping at beginner novice, I'd be beating myself up. I'd be sick to my stomach. Cause I spent so much of my life training and riding. And this weekend I was like, I am so happy. He just galloped around every cross country jump and I didn't fall off. And that is a, almost a better feeling than when I was competing full-time and not being in the top three or top five. And I think that failure throughout the years allows you to choose what is a win to yourself and define that a little bit more. And, uh, it's gotta be, if you're going to be a horse person, you, it's gotta be something you're really comfortable with. And as a young, as a, if I'm giving an advice to someone that's young, you've got to learn to lean into the failure and learn from it. And because it's going to be the one thing that stops you from doing it again. And you got to find what is, what is a win to you and what makes you happy about it. And as an adult now, 
going out and seeing my horses run up to me in the field and not run away from me because they've got ulcers because they know I'm going to ride them. And I, you know, like they, they actually let me catch them now <laughs> because I can afford to take care of them. And I love and dote on them. I'm not trying to ride five horses before it gets dark. And I just, that, that bit of that hustle culture I had in my twenties, now I look back and I'm like, well, I just really just love my horses and I just want to kiss them and smooch on them. And even, you know, I look at their pictures on my phone while I'm working all day and I'm like, I just can't wait to go see them and give them a hug. Yes. I wish I had that love when I was doing it, but I was hustling so hard that I didn't slow down to actually, I don't feel like I had that love for it then as I do now. So much wisdom there and so many of us, and and honestly, to your point, so many of us can look in hindsight and see those lessons, but it's awful hard to learn those lessons while you're in it. And you and I had a conversation before we even started today where I said I have been really focused on this hustle culture in so much of my speaking and training the past few months because that is exactly where we are. We have to go slow to go fast. And when we really start to decide to be more intentional and purposeful about what we're doing and why we're doing it, uh, then we are able to really realize some greater joy. And that's what, what you're finding, right? You talked about that level of happy and that level of joy, and we could call it reward because, you know, for me, again, it's Jody Speaks Life, living inspired, fulfilled, and empowered. And until we go slow to go fast and get intentional and purposeful, that fulfillment is really hard to grasp and hard to get to because we're chasing it too hard. You know, and so there's there's just so much there. And one of the things that that you said along the way, you know, how do you know when it's the right time to pivot? Again, those lessons are learned often in in hindsight when we are able to draw on our own experiences. One of the thoughts that I had as you were kind of talking about that, the one of the most recent books I read is called The Gap and the Gain. And it talks about success can only be measured backwards. And so when you talk about knowing your wins and deciding what a win is, that's going to evolve over our careers, right? Like what was a win to me at 21 wasn't the same win at 28 or 32 or whatever that looks like. And so rather than comparing ourselves to our ideal, something that's just out here and we have not yet attained, we also have to be able to, in addition to setting goals, that we can look back and say, okay, a year ago, I could not have done this. A year ago, I didn't know this, you know, and those kinds of things where success can be measured backwards rather than measuring from some comparative to someone else or something in the future. Yeah. And I think that, that that's a huge piece because we see so many people in the industry say to themselves, I want to be a team rider. I want to ride at this level. I want to do this. And I want to do this. And I remember the day I, I walked into the barn and I said to Kathy Weishoff, I said, I don't care if I'm in last place. I want to do a prelim on this horse. And, um, a huge shout out to Kathy. And I think others have said this before when you, if you went to her and said, I want to take a mule around advanced level eventing, she's going to help you with it and she's going to do it. And it's most likely going to happen. And I love that about her, but that's why I'm pointing this out was I, in hindsight, I, I didn't actually realize that was the goal, right? To say, I want to take this horse prelim. 
because I, there was no way I was ever going to win a prelim on Trubs. Like if anyone knows Trubs, he's a difficult horse to ride. He still is. Um, and, but I learned, oh my gosh, so much about myself as a rider that I then was able to apply into when I was started reselling horses was, oh, maybe I am a little strong in the hand. I de- do tend to pull to a fence and I do tend to get nervous in this point. So when I'm on this horse, I've got to apply that. So my advice in the big picture of saying that story is if you are a young rider or you have a young equestrian with ambitions, go out there and just do it and ride the horse you got and figure it out. Because then the next horse you get and the next horse you get, you're going to start to see things start to come together. And by the third horse or the fourth horse that you're on or whatever you're doing, that horse is going to be so nice and easy to ride. It's going to be so happy and you're going to love it. But I think a lot of people out there would admit their first horse that they took to a certain point in their career, it was bumpy. It was awful. You fell off a lot. You failed a lot, but I couldn't trade every dime I spent on that first event horse for the world because it was, it was probably more money than a college degree, to be honest, but it was more education for sure. Right. Yeah. The level of learning was level expert. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, someone makes a joke. I want to say it's Jen O'Neill here in Lexington, but she says that she's got enough uh, education that to be a vet, a horse trainer and a mechanic and a barn man, a farm manager to uh, like, she has her MBA or her, her vet. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's so true. Like we're, by the time we finish with just competing a horse through its career, you are all of those things. You know how to fix a truck and a trailer and a barn and a fences and everything and tractors. I can't even get the list goes on. Yeah. Without a doubt. Well, Katie, uh, again, your story is inspiring without a doubt. And I love the, the realness and the reality that you love to share. And then the entire journey that has brought you to a point where you have so beautifully blended your equine and equestrian experiences with the current role that you have at a startup tech company, right? And so the only thing I think that we didn't mention, Katie, that I wanted to highlight is you did earn your bachelor's degree while working multiple jobs, but can you tell us what your bachelor's is in? So I chose sports business um, with the intention of that I was passionate about. I mean, I still am very passionate about the future of the equestrian sports and did it lead me into a job in that industry? No, but uh, being able to apply that knowledge and um, right now the company I work for, we are the licensee for Team USA in lottery products. So it's kind of cool that I get to, you know, I do help uh, Olympic level riders on the side doing account work to say that I back up Team USA in two different areas. And you know what my goal was as a kid? If you ask five-year-old Katie, she wanted to be an Olympic athlete. Is that going to happen? No. But in a, in a roundabout funny way is I am supporting Team USA in many facets, of, if they're big or small, but in my career. And I think that's landing amongst the stars if I haven't heard it myself. So 
Amen to that. And that's why I wanted to make sure that we did not not share that piece of information because I just thought that was so cool uh, that you earned that BA in sports business. And what a fascinating journey that you have taken to be where you are today. And again, I think it's a beautiful blend of everything that you have going on and that you're so quick to share the lessons along the way, the lessons the horses have taught you, the connections. You and I have that passion for connection. You are quick to really give shout outs. I, I don't think there was one story you told for us today that you weren't giving credit to someone who mentored, championed, influenced, and was essentially a hero in your life. And that in and of itself is just really the ultimate reward. Well, and that's important is I think you have to put yourself out there. You've got to look people in the eye and you got to shake their hand and you got, I mean, I will be the first to admit my face is not very recognizable. People look at me and they go, do I know her? Um, I, I don't have those qualities about me that people remember me. So I've always known I got to go out of my way a little bit to make myself be known, whether it be a funny joke or, you know, something to, to, uh, help people remember who you are because connections are going to be the one thing that leverage you later on. And I, I speak it, you know, I remember the day at the jockey club that I, I knew I was leaving. So I went through and added everybody in the break room on my LinkedIn account. And here it paid off seven years later when I got a job completely not even involved in the industry, just because I had those networks and connections and, and staying involved and branding yourself and putting yourself out there and no matter what you choose to do. But my advice to those young people, um, go out there, work, meet people, be known, even if it's not in your nature, it's going to pay off eventually, no matter what you choose to do later in life. Yes. And you are singing my song there. And so as we wrap up, Katie, you have talked to us about just that, connecting with people constantly. Uh, you've taught us how important it is to adapt. And again, my favorite quote, which I'll keep repeating from you is to be hungry and keep a working student mentality for the rest of your life. I am going to use that uh, over and over. And that is all credit to Katie Osborne. And then to also don't forget listeners to be okay to take care of yourself. And Katie talks about that from physical, mental, financial, you cannot fill from an empty cup. And I don't know that we've had any of our guests really share that advice yet, Katie. So thank you for bringing that. We talk so much about that in our conversations today. And so I appreciate you bringing that value uh, on this episode. Well, I'm glad to share it because I know I, there's people probably out there that are struggling right now um, financially. I'm, we can all admit it. Everything is ungodly expensive. Um, so I, I think that's really important in these days. Like it's okay to slow down and take a step and take care of yourself because you you don't want to get further down the line. Um, and I can say that for sure. So take care of yourself out there, guys. It's hard. It's hard world. Yes. And Katie, we are all here for our listeners. And this is the way that we do this. We build connections. We connect with one another. I know there will be listeners that will want to connect with you. So tell us how to find Katie Osborne, Caitlin Osborne. Give us the rundown. 
Yeah. Um, I think the best way for if anyone's young and they want some guidance on how to pack up your things and move to a town like Lexington, Kentucky or England or anything like that, I'd love to share that with a younger person um, because there are so many opportunities out there for people to grow in this industry, whether you want to be an eventer, whether you're a show jumper, whether a riding instructor please reach out to me on Facebook. It's Katie Osborne. You can easily find me in a lot of different Facebook groups, uh, mostly the off the track one, because I'm always on there horse shopping for horses I don't need. But I think that for those younger people, that's the good way to get in touch with me. Um, LinkedIn, I'm under Caitlin Osborne. That's my full name. Um, you can connect with me there. I love trying to get my connections as high as possible there. Uh, but I would love to help those younger people that are adverse to spending the money on college and would rather get that experience in the industry because I'm all for it. Go get the experience. Even if it means you clean stalls for a few months, it's going to pay off down the road hundred percent. Yes. Okay. Katie, I will make sure that all of your contact info is in the show notes for today's episode. And with that thrivers, thank you for being here, Katie. I can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom with our listeners today. And uh, I'll be going back to listen to this one because there's, there are things that I was like, Oh my gosh, I need to write this down. But I appreciate you tremendously. And I know that our listeners do as well. So thrivers, Thank you. We will see you back here same time next week and happy December. I mean, we're getting so close to, to Christmas now and the holiday season. So um, wishing all of you all the time with your most favorite people and pets and have an amazing day. Hey, Thriver. I hope this episode inspired and empowered you to keep growing. If so, I'd be so grateful if you hit that share button and send it to your tribe so they can thrive too. And while you're there, please leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts so everyone can find the show. I love to know what keeps you listening, especially if I'm at the barn with you. I'll meet you back here same time next week. Cheers, Jody.